0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number 1 in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number Limited Edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: In this episode of Boss Files, what does legendary investor Warren Buffett think of President Donald Trump? Our exclusive interview and why he says the U.S. economy is actually softer than people think. Plus, he weighs in for the first time on the scandal at banking giant Wells Fargo. Here's our full interview with the Oracle of Omaha. I sat down with him just days after the election on November 10th. Warren, thank you very much for doing this. Well,
2: thanks for inviting me.
1: We have a lot to cover. Let's start with the election. A hard-fought election on both sides, no question. What do you think this election has done to America? Well...
2: We will find out the answer to that. I mean it clearly was an election like none other I've ever seen. I voted in my first election in 1952. Dwight Eisenhower, Adlai Stevenson. No one went in and voted for Dwight Eisenhower because they didn't like Stevenson. No one went in and voted for Stevenson because they hated Eisenhower. I mean every vote almost was an affirmative vote. And I'm sure we set a record for what you might call negative votes this time. I mean, people went in and voted against the other person. And that's a huge, I mean, that, that, that has real repercussions. Uh, and the trend has been in that direction over the years, but we are having, and this was the culmination of it, but we are having elections more and more, partly because what money can do with negative ads and all of that sort of thing. I don't remember negative ads from 1952.
1: They both ran a lot of those.
2: Oh, uh, sure. And, and the, the reason they run them is it's been proven that they work. And, and money has way, is way more of a factor, obviously, in politics now. But, but it's, it's different when 130 million people go to the polls, with many of them voting for Trump because they didn't like Hillary, and many voting for Hillary because they didn't like Trump.
1: You are a huge supporter of Hillary Clinton. True. You were one of the first big names to endorse her. Do you support Donald Trump as the next president?
2: Oh, sure. I support any president of the United States. I mean, it's it's very important that the American people coalesce behind the president. That doesn't mean they can't criticize him or they can't disagree with his, what he's doing, maybe, but but we need a country unified mm-hmm. uh, by a president, the legitimacy of the president, and, and uh, uh, he deserves everybody's respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's it's really... We proved with Bush v. Gore. I mean, the whole country went back to work. The Supreme Court decided. I, mean, I, th- I, th- I think. I think there were unusual strains within the within the population in this because there was so much negative campaigning and and and, and the candidates sunk to a lower level in terms of the debates and all of that that uh, than we would have had 40 years ago when mm-hmm. the famous. Kennedy-Nixon debate to start things off. Uh, it, it wasn't intensely personal. It, you know, didn't, uh, here, here the kind of things we heard this time. Uh, but we, you, you've got to be behind the president.
1: As a huge supporter of Hillary Clinton, what was your hope that she could do for this country? Well, Why did you want to see her as the 45th president so much?
2: The two most important things in my mind, by far the most important thing, is what what person is likely as president to minimize the chances of weapons of mass destruction being used. I mean, that is the, America has a wonderful future. The world has a wonderful future. We do have weaponry out there that nobody could have dreamt of uh, 80 years ago. The world changed in 1945. And so individuals, groups, even rogue nations, are going to be with us forever, mm-hmm. who would like to kill millions of Americans. You can't stop the random acts. I mean, it, you should not hold the president responsible for whether some lone wolf goes out and kills 50 people. It's terrible, but he can't do anything about that. It does make a difference in terms of whether, when you get a ca- Cuban Missile Crisis or something so like that. So it's temperament. It's temperament and judgment. And yeah, it's temperament and judgment. And that that is the most important job in my mind that the president of the United States has. Other things are going to fall into place. Sure, but one mistake there.
1: So Do- and, Donald Trump is the president-elect. Well, you have questions, it sounds like about his temperament? Well, uh, and you had to
2: choose between two people, and I chose Hillary on that. And that and but that was the number one okay. in my mind. The second thing in, in my mind is that we've got an unbelievably prosperous c- country, and loads of people are not participating in that, who are perfectly decent citizens who should, so I think, and we will have an ever more prosperous country. I would hope that 10 and 20 years, 30 years from now, uh, a much higher percentage of the people who are willing to work can find a 40 hour week sufficient, they don't have to have a second job or anything of the sort, we can afford that and uh, in that respect I agreed with her, I agreed with Bernie Sanders on that as far as that's concerned.
1: To the temperament issue, and you, you bring up nuclear weapons, do you now trust that Donald Trump has the temperament needed as the leader of the free world to be the one who has those codes?
2: It's important that he does, and, and nobody knows for sure what does happen uh, if you get a call the middle of the night. You're hopeful? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm always hopeful. <laughs> but there will, you know, North Korea is still there. I mean, there are role organizations that in terms of cyber, nuclear, chemical, biological, uh, they would use those uh, uh, weapons uh, in, on a huge scale uh, if they could get materials, deliverability, and all of that. And you need a president who feels that's his number one job.
1: You've called this election one of the greatest protest votes of all time. Donald Trump tweeted after he won, the forgotten man and woman will never be forgotten again. He had a message and a movement, a wave, that resonated with much of this country, much of where we're sitting in Nebraska. And I wonder why you think he was able to speak so effectively to men and women who feel left behind by this economy, that the growth we've seen is not inclusive enough for them, and what America can learn from this. Well, they had
2: a choice of two candidates, and... I think it, it's indicated, uh, the vote indicates that uh, much of the American public didn't like either candidate very well, I mean, and, and uh, uh, they could easily feel that they'd seen Hillary for a long time and very hard to change your mind about somebody that, or get new hope about somebody that you've already formed a, perhaps a negative opinion on. and. Uh, uh, but in the end, who knows what they thought of. The- we're going we're to do a lot of studies on that, but we don't but know the answer to that it's yet. It's interesting
1: when you do look at, at the, the exit polling and take it for what it's worth, because the polling models on the front end of this were, were off. But uh, Hillary Clinton won lower-income Americans, uh, $50,000 incomes and below, and Donald Trump won you know, middle-class and wealthier Americans. Um, what is the Trump movement then? If well, it's not necessarily about income inequality, what is it?
2: Well, Trump but won the 50,000 under white and particularly white male vote big time. So uh, that 50,000 under has a disproportionate number of minorities that, mm-hmm. that uh, went for Hillary. So you have to mm-hmm. segment that further. But uh, people felt, well, I'll give you a figure. I mean, the F- Forbes, Ford four hundred had ninety three billion dollars in nineteen eighty two and they got two point four trillion now. And that's twenty five times as much. You know, if if you've been working forty hours a week, maybe holding a second job, and you know, you work with a little league and you've been a good parent and you're really struggling, you think, What's wrong with this picture? Mm-hmm. And uh, you want to change the picture and apparently more went in to the uh, into the voting booth than than Uh, and decided that uh, Trump was the answer. But it's interesting, you mentioned the exit polls. I had exit polls from one of the best news organizations (laughs) around at 7 p.m. Eastern on election night, state by state, and they were off by six or seven points. Mm
1: -hmm. I heard traveling across this country, not much, but I did hear from some that they didn't believe that America was ready to elect a woman. Do you believe that Hillary Clinton lost in part because she is a woman?
2: Sure. She lost some votes because of that. She probably got some votes because of that. It's very, I don't know the balance of the two. There's no question that uh, there would be a lot of votes against her because she was a woman, not like it would have been 30 or 40 years ago, but there there would still be a lot of votes. There would be a lot of votes for because she was a woman. And... How the balance came out, I, I don't know. And people wouldn't necessarily give you an honest answer on that if you were polling them.
1: You are the eternal optimist. I mean, you're the one who wrote the opinion piece in the middle of the Great Recession saying, bet on America. Absolutely. Do you feel optimistic about America right now? 100%. A, a divided America? A hundred percent. Why?
2: It, it is the, I mean, this, this is a fantastic country. In my lifetime, I was born in 1930. The real GDP per person has gone up six for one. Here we were just about the most advanced country in the world when I was born and one person's lifetime, six for one, There's never been anything like it. We have $57,000 of GDP per capita, family of four, 228,000, they don't get it. But, but it, th- this system will produce more and more stuff. And better and better stuff and services. The
1: system works regardless the, of who the, the market the system is. works.
2: All right, let's. But talk, it doesn't work for everybody.
1: It doesn't clearly. It
2: works in aggregate.
1: Let's talk about the markets long term. Uh, the market reaction to to all of this to President Elect Trump. What do you expect it to be long term, given the policy proposals that he's laid out, if he carries through with them?
2: Are you talking about the stock market?
1: I'm talking about the stock. Market.
2: Yeah, stock market. What, will be and higher 10, 20, 30 years from now. Uh, and it would have been with Hillary and it would have been and will be with Trump.
1: So all of these predictions that the market was going to tank under President uh, they're Trump? Si- they're
2: silly. Silly. They're silly.
1: Let's dig into some of the proposals that Donald Trump has put out there, the economic proposals mm-hmm. and your take on them. Uh, he has suggested and proposed instituting a 35% tariff on goods imported from Mexico and China yeah. to this country. Uh, a lot of business leaders say that would cause a trade war. That would cause a recession. what do you say?
2: Well, I think it 's a bad idea, a very bad idea, but i'm not going to say it'll cause a, a recession. Uh, anytime you start playing around with retaliatory type trade things it's very very likely you're going to have a, the other side's going to play too i mean that uh, has been, been the history. Uh, the problem for trade, and this is why you need what I would call an instructor in chief as as president because uh, you cannot blame anybody that lost their job because uh, industry, their industry moved abroad because there was a comparative advantage with some other country. You can't expect any of them to, to say, ah, I'm, I'm for free trade because it it helps the society as a whole. It does help the society as a whole, but the benefits are very diffuse. You know, I may buy the socks I have, <laughs> the underwear I have a few cents cheaper because of the comparative advantage mm-hmm. of some other country in producing it. But I don't get down every every time I go to Walmart and buy them. I don't say, oh, thank God for free trade.
1: Does it worry you then to hear Donald Trump say he will scrap NAFTA, which he'll have the power to do as president?
2: Well, we'll see what happens. I, uh, it is true there will be a, that with the Republicans in control of the Senate and the House. You, you don't will. think he'll do it? Well, I, I, you know, he has to, he has to get House and Senate. He has to get support on it. There will be a lot of, and this is not true. This is not exclusive to Donald Trump. There are a lot of things said in campaigns that don't happen uh, after the election.
1: Donald Trump ran on the platform of being a billionaire businessman, arguing that that gives him the unique ability to help all of the Americans the millions of people who are struggling in this country who cannot get by on one job, who cannot support their family, and they believe he is their answer. Do you think that Donald Trump is a good businessman? Because you certainly went after him on his business record during the campaign. Yeah,
2: well, he, he, had, he had some major failures, and, and he was very good at licensing, and he was very good at, at things that involved promotion of his name. Uh, actual operation of the businesses in the 1980s and 1990s, you know, it left him essentially uh, bankrupting you know, m- multiple companies. But he, I would say this, he understands business, uh, but his record has been better at licensing and, and uh, than than putting out his own capital, yeah.
1: His publicly traded Trump casino empire business, no major US company filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy more. Are you concerned about his ability to operate big businesses?
2: Well, he isn't going to be operating a business. He's going to be operating, I don't have to worry about him running a business at all. He's the one that has to, uh, you know, that, that's, that, that doesn't really, in my judgment, uh, determine whether somebody makes a great president. Mm-hmm. Harry Truman went broke in a haberdashery store you know, <laughs> near Kansas City or in Kansas City. I mean, he wasn't much of a businessman. He turned out to be a terrific president.
1: Looking at some of the proposals that Donald Trump has has put out there, um, because you said earlier, you said that this country will be fine even if we elect, quote, the wrong president. This was months ago. So he says cut taxes for the wealthy, scrap trade deals like NAFTA, deport millions of immigrants, build a wall between the United States and Mexico. And in doing so, he believes that he can deliver 4 percent growth a year, at least, and create 25 million jobs over 10 years. You know business like no other. mm -hmm. Are those things possible with these proposals?
2: Well, I don't think anybody can grow our economy in real terms at 4% a year over time. I mean, there may be a given year when that happens, but the math of it is just too extraordinary. Mm -hmm. If you simply grow our economy 2% a year, which we've been doing, you will have $19,000 more of real GDP per capita in one generation. I mean, we are the result of compound interest on growth, but it has—it isn't four uh, percent. Yeah, that four percent is not—they'll uh, uh, be given years like that, but it's not realistic.
1: So those numbers aren't realistic.
2: Well, no, but people promise things in campaigns that aren't realistic. The,
1: the, the thing is, though, so many Americans depend on this. I mean, well, they, they
2: don't have to depend on four percent growth. They have to depend on better distribution of two percent growth.
1: But those are the numbers he's betting on. To well, be you don't. Know. Neutral,
2: you know, I mean, during example. a camp, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. You aren't, let's see, you know, it, it, it was what uh, Mario Cuomo said, you know, you, 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 you uh, campaign in poetry and you govern in prose.
1: <laughs> there is a great likelihood that Donald Trump will have to deal with a recession on his hands. This has been a long bull market run. Whoever the next president was will likely have to deal with a recession of some magnitude. Um, you often picked up the telephone when President Obama called you for your advice. If a president Trump calls you to come to the White House to help him to advise him on economic policy, would you do that?
2: I would do that with any president. I've never called a president in my life, uh, so I don't I don't initiate him. But but if any president asks me for help in any way, I mean that's that's part of being a citizen.
1: Does President Donald Trump uh, and the proposals he's laid out change any way that you do business or what you invest?
2: in? That's really interesting. You ask that because. We were buying and selling certain stocks a week ago, and I thought Hillary would be able like, like. We're buying and selling the same stocks today, and really? we, and we did it. The, we did it on Wed. Yeah, we did it on Wednesday, the day after, and that, we're buying them in the same quantities. We're selling them in the same. Part. We we haven't changed anything.
1: <laughs> you have been paying taxes since you were seven years old.
2: No, no, no. Since I was since I was 13. Since you were paid yeah, $7 I was a late, I was when a late 13, starter. When you were 13, <laughs> I've right. got every return too.
1: <laughs> Let's talk about Donald Trump's taxes. You publicly challenged him during the campaign to release his tax sure. returns. You said you would do the same thing, and then journalists and public could ask you guys endless questions about them. That did not happen yet. I don't know if we will ever see Donald Trump's taxes. I don't returns. think you will. You don't think we will. No. You've said you will learn a whole lot more about Donald Trump if he produces his income tax returns. What do you think the American people would learn?
2: Well, you'd, you'd, you'd learn a lot of details about, you know, what his income was, what his charities were, how much they were, what what deductions he took, whether he had tax shelters or not, you know, what kind of securities he bought and sold. You'd learn a lot. You'd learn a lot about me looking at my returns. It wouldn't be that interesting, but you you would learn.
1: What do you make of the fact that he so far refuses to release? them? He doesn't want
2: to. Why? <laughs> well, because he thought it would hurt him in the election. Does it bother you? Well, it's something. You know, I think they should do just like medical records, uh, candidates. But, but you've got to expect that. I mean, Hillary didn't want to release. You know, the transcripts of the talks.
1: Should she have? Should she have? Well, I, it's, it's the very, Wall Street speeches. Yeah.
2: Well, obviously, I, I never run a political campaign. But obviously, in the political campaign. You decide what hurts you and what helps you. And believe me, that's the calculation, you know, and and you've got to expect candidates to behave in that way. You don't advance to the point where you're running for president of the United States without learning something about political campaigns and having people around you that give you all kinds of advice. And that that was the obviously either their own determinations with both candidates or the urgings of those around them.
1: Have you spoken with Hillary Clinton since she conceded? no, 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 no. President Obama has 70 days or so left in office. Um, Grade President Obama for us. You know him well. How has he done?
2: Oh, I think he's done very well. I mean, he came in, you know, in January of 2009 and there were questions. I mean, the stock market hit bottom in March of 2009, the economy hit bottom in the third quarter, but I mean, he inherited a terrible, terrible, terrible hand. I mean, it was close to what Roosevelt inherited and, and uh, uh, he had to do things fast and he had to get a Congress to go along with it and, and, uh, and he had to educate the American people and people were shell-shocked at, the, at that time. Uh, so I think considering the hand he had, considering later the problems of a divided uh, Congress, uh, I, I think no, I think he's done a terrific job. I have not been disappointed in him at all.
1: So, what grade would you give him?
2: Oh, I give him a very high grade. I'm not. <laughs> I don't, don't want to try and get, get it to the decibel points, but I give him a high grade.
1: Before we move on, what do you think his legacy will be? What will we be talking about twenty years from now?
2: Well, we're certainly going to talk about the fact that he was the first African American president. I mean, that is that is very historic uh, in itself. Uh, but I think we will talk about a president that we, where our economic machine came off the tracks like it hadn't since the 1930s, who, who put it back on the tracks and got it going mm-hmm. very well. And I think that that's huge. Now, I think there are other people who deserve a lot of credit mm-hmm. in that respect, uh, uh, but I, but he's the leader.
1: You've lived through a lot. You've seen a lot of elections. This is a divided nation as we sit here today. Is this a nation that will come together and heal?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I grew up in a household when I was eight or nine years old. You know, my sisters and I did not get dessert until we said something bad about Roosevelt. And so I, I heard my dad and his friends say, you know, there'd never be an election after the third term. That You know, that the system was falling apart. I, throughout my life the people who will come up on the short end of an, an election say it's the end of the world you know, and all of that. America's America's stronger than that.
1: Let's talk about the economy. In February, you said that the U.S. economy is a little bit weaker than you'd expected. What's your assessment as we sit here today?
2: Well, it's interesting, Bob, because I, I, I would say, uh, this time I'd probably use the term, it's, it's softer than I think people think it is. I don't mean it's weak, but it's softer than people think. I, you know, Now the GDP you know, comes out for the third quarter, 2.9%. Uh, I don't think it was a 2.9% quarter. Now, they've got way better figures than I do. You think
1: it was lower than
2: that? Yeah, yeah, I do. Why, and,
1: what signs are you looking oh, at? Oh, I
2: look at everything. I mean, I, we've got 70 plus businesses. And From in those railroads businesses, to fruit and, of the well, loom and, underwear. And, and we get it, we get it. I love numbers, so I, I get it on a very so real-time basis. What you now, the, the Federal Reserve and those people, they, they, they're getting a 1,000 times as many figures and they've got all kinds of people working out. But if I had to bet, if they end up revising the third quarter, you know, it'll get revised downward, okay. and, and I think I, it, it, the economy is not so growing so at two point nine percent.
1: Markets move on your words. You're seeing a softer economy. I'm
2: buying stocks.
1: Economy? <laughs> what? What is it? I mean, are, are, are? I mean, you've said before periodically financial markets will be divorced from reality. It sounds to me no, like the
2: financial markets don't have to go with business.
1: Right, but but are they divorced from reality right now? Are stocks no. at this point overvalued?
2: No, I don't think stocks no. are overvalued. No, okay. No, but stocks relate to interest rates also. I mean, they really, of I don't pay any attention to what th- the business numbers I see in determining the orders I have in for stocks today. It's a, I'm, I'm buying businesses in 10 years. What difference does it make what they do this week or next week? You know, I think I know what they're going to do over time. I, do, I know I don't know what they're going to do next year.
1: Can you take us into some of the the signs or numbers that are showing you softness specifically?
2: Just take a, we'll take a look at railroad car loadings. They probably this is not exactly right, but they may have 25 categories or something of the sort. Uh, you know, there's coal, there's grain, there's you know, all kinds of things, automotive, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Most categories, I mean a very significant percentage of categories, are are, are down. That's physical volume. Uh, and they measure the movement of goods and they're not the only thing. But you can look at the truck uh, trucking industry in October, for example. Uh, uh, it was not good. So when you take trucks and railroads together, you're talking about moving goods. It wasn't weather at all. I mean, on the balance, the weather has been favorable. Uh, and that is people bringing things forward to eventually sell to consumers. And, but there's, there's a whole bunch of figures I see. And, and uh, you, know, you may be seeing it in autos here fairly soon.
1: Perhaps in autos soon. Yeah. Does it concern you to the point of a possible recession in the near term?
2: No, I don't, I don't. I, I can't predict recessions. And if, if you guaranteed me there would be a recession next year, I would be buying and selling the same securities I'm buying and selling mm-hmm. today.
1: Mm-hmm. Who's winning in this economy right now?
2: The rich, guys like me. You know, we have gone from having 93 billion, top 400 in, in, in 1982 to having 2.4 trillion, 25 for one. People who, it becomes a more and more specialized market economy. It was right. an agrarian economy a couple hundred years ago. Very hard you know, to get 20 times the wealth of the next guy because you were a little bit better farmer. But if you're, if you're better at some skills now, you can become incredibly wealthy at a very young age. Not because you earned the money to build one steel mill and then saved it to buy another steel mill. So You get the capitalized value of an idea. And so the wealth moves big time Even on an anticipatory basis, Uh, and and that has become more accentuated in uh, in the last 30 years.
1: The income inequality continues to grow and to grow and to grow. And the big question is, what are the societal and social impacts of that?
2: Well, you may have seen it in the election.
1: I think, yes. And look at the rise of Bernie Sanders. Yeah,
2: Bernie Sanders Sanders said to the good bit of the American people, "You're, "You're getting the short end of the stick, and it isn't your fault."
1: Do you think that Bernie Sanders would have had a better shot against Donald Trump no, on, the, no. on the economic message?
2: Well, he, I don't think he would have had a better shot in terms of getting elected. I, I think that uh, he would have been totally focused, just like you saw him do in the primaries, yeah. on, on just a couple of issues.
1: So a Harvard study came out earlier this year that absolutely fascinates me. and you know, as America has elected the ultimate capitalist in Donald Trump, this study found that 51 percent of young people between 18 and 29 do not support capitalism. And the director of the study said they are rejecting the way that capitalism is practiced today. But capitalism is what made you, Warren, into a billionaire. Capitalism is, you know, what made Donald Trump into a billionaire. Why is it not working for more young people?
2: Because the market system does get more and more specialized as we go along in other words, if you were I'm going to use IQ and I know the limitations of it, but I 'm going to use it just as a as, as, as a marker for a bigger idea if you were a hundred and thirty IQ working on a farm and the person next to you was a ninety IQ the other person probably was worth ninety percent as much as you <laughs> you know it just didn't make that there weren't there were any tools available you didn't have to do planning or anything like that it was just, uh, and Those were agrarian, that was an agrarian society. Then we moved into a manufacturing society. And if you were on the Ford Motor uh, assembly line in 1915, it's still differences in intellect and so on were important, but they didn't produce 50 for one results or 100 for one results. Now we're in an economy where specialized talents bring incredible sums and where if you're a little bit, where you really don't fit well into the market system, you are left behind.
1: So then the question is, do we need a more inclusive form of capitalism? I know that you and some of the we CEOs- We need a different
2: form of tax. We, we need an earned income tax credit that's much more, uh, that's expanded. That's
1: gonna solve everything? Sol- no, their no, nothing tax. solves everything. But <laughs> does capitalism as we know it need to
2: evolve? No, capitalism, capitalism, the market system works. Now, you've got two questions. You wanna keep a system where the goose lays more golden eggs every year we've got that now the question is how do those eggs get distributed and that is where the system needs some some, some adjusting we've, we have adjusted we've voted social security and we've done things in the past mm-hmm. but we need to address the problem not of how to get more eggs out we know how to do that mm-hmm. but we have to make sure that that in a super rich country Anybody who's willing to work 40 hours a week has a decent living.
1: So what is that going to mean then when it comes to minimum wage? Because you and I have talked for years about this minimum wage debate. You've told me before it is the hardest question I've been asked because I don't know the answer. You've said I'd like to see everyone make at least $20 an hour, but you're concerned about what that would do in terms of depressing hiring. Since we last spoke about this over a year ago, the fight for $15 $15 an hour has really elevated. Is that the answer?
2: You don't need a minimum wage. You need a minimum income. Now, the wage comes to you from your employer the income so should, that's well, interesting yeah no the income the income comes from your employer plus whatever the government does right. and and the earned income tax credit can give everyone fifteen dollars an hour uh, mm-hmm. even if their market skills don't command it so you don't lose any employment and you make it graduated so there still is an incentive that if you're 750 an hour job you get to nine you still then your 15 becomes even higher the earned income tax credit is a great answer, and like I say, it isn't It isn't how much you get in wages, it's how much you get Why in cash. Why does the
1: bonus need to be on the government? Why shouldn't it be on these businesses? Then,
2: then, then you fool with the market system and you lose employment. If you if, if you tell me I've got to run a business that pays $15 an hour, in many industries I'm going to employ less people than before. I don't want to employ less people. I just want that person to make $15 an hour. and the, you. If, if you could have a minimum wage that kept everybody in the in the country working, you'd make it 20 or $25 an hour. We got the money to do it. But that doesn't work because it leaves millions and millions and millions of people who don't have the skills to actually command that in the market. Mm. The earned income tax credit solves it. So what
1: is, what, what is the minimum income then? What is the minimum living wage in yeah, this I, country I, in, it, a, in an average American city? Yeah, it
2: depends on the geography to of some course. extent. But I, I would think that you could design an earned income tax credit that left people receiving $15 an hour and also with meaningful incentives to move up their own skills so that, that between 750 and 15, they weren't just reducing the amount they received on the credit. And you would give them a feeling of self-worth and you wouldn't hurt any jobs. Society would say, we've got enough in the society. So that, that you know, if, if we got an 18, trillion dollar GDP. Mm -hmm. We can allocate, but right now we're spending about sixty billion a year on it. We can allocate I don't think it'd take maybe more than another sixty billion dollars to get the job done.
1: Is the American dream alive for enough people in twenty sixteen?
2: Sure. It's alive for millions and millions and millions. Take all right here, I mean for a significant percentage of the people in this in this city. I mean it's alive. We've got 360,000 people working at Berkshire. I think that a very high percentage of American Dream's alive. American Dream should be that if you work productively at 40 hours a week, you can have a decent life. Mm -hmm. And some people will have special talents that will will make tremendous sums beyond that. And they will be the ones that are responsible for having more eggs, golden eggs to distribute year by year.
1: All right, let's jump into Wells Fargo. Uh, You have yet to speak publicly about Wells Fargo until today. Wells Fargo has admitted to creating some 2 million fake accounts over at least five years. This is a scandal that cost the CEO his job. It cost 5,300 hourly employees, workers their their livelihood and their jobs. Berkshire is the largest shareholder in Wells Fargo owning just about 10% of the bank. You personally own about two million shares. You have been such a supporter of this bank, Warren, that back in 2009, you, you said, if I had to put all of my net worth in a stock, that would be the stock.
2: How do you feel about Wells Fargo today? That might well be the stock now, actually. Today. I'm not I'm not touting the stock or anything. It depends on the price of that stock versus other stocks. But but the uh, it's interesting. That, uh, I don't think anybody's actually picked up on this, but... We own 500 million shares at Berkshire Hathaway, and then there's a few shares more that get counted against us. Uh, you can't go over 10% of the shares of a bank mm-hmm. without becoming a bank holding company, right. unless you agree to be totally passive, and the Federal Reserve Board has to pass on that.
1: Right, which you've applied for. Well, to-
2: the what happened, of course, was that Wells, we didn't, we didn't buy over 10%. Wells repurchased shares, which threw us over 10%. Uh, we don't want to be a bank holding company, mm-hmm. and we filed in June uh, to uh, declare our intent, which we have always had to be passive. and And uh, they still have to rule on that, uh, and then maybe a few more months. We, in my view, they rule it because we are passive. But that 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 means passive. <laughs> it means it means you don't. It was reported. We, I talked directly to the board. I can't. I can't talk directly to the board. That is not being passive. And the Federal Reserve would say at that point, you are going to be a bank holding company. We do not want to be Have, a bank holding company.
1: So, so I'm clear. Have you personally or Berkshire sold any of your stake in no. Wells Fargo since this scandal? No. None.
2: No, I didn't want to. Why? Well, it's, it's it's a it's a great bank that made a terrible mistake. You know, and and every great institution makes. If you employ 360,000 people like we do, or 280,000 like they do, but they made a particularly egregious mistake. I mean, this, is per-
1: this was part of the culture, it was pervasive and it lasted for years.
2: It was a dumb incentive system, which when they found out it was dumb, they didn't do anything about it. If you put in incentives, incentives have terrific power, and they got power to do good things and bad things and every everybody uses incentives you you're going to use them with your children mm-hmm. you know people use them I mean there's nothing wrong with incentives but if you find out incentives is producing perverse behavior to what you intended mm-hmm. you got to change it it's not it's not unknown to to misgauge the effect of incentives and Wells Fargo made designed a system that produced bad behavior now that when you find that out, you got to do something about it. And, and the big mistake was they didn't do something about it.
1: And behavior that has really hurt the bank's, reputation no, it hurts the bank's reputation and standing. So that brings me back to 1991, the Solomon Brothers scandal. You testify in front of Congress and you say, lose money for the firm, I will be understanding. Lose a shred of reputation for the firm and I will be ruthless. Wells Fargo did just that and you're sticking with them. Why? There is no
2: question of being sticking with them. I, I mean, being ruthless. I, I, I'm a passive investor in, in most markets. I will guarantee, you, we've got, I don't know how many, 30 st- companies we own Saga or something like that. I will guarantee you there's something going wrong at almost every one of them. I mean, it's not my job to run those companies. And but did- it is my job to determine whether, when something goes wrong, whether it's going to be permanent. But I was on the board of directors of, of Solomon Monday. Sure, they, Sure, Yeah.
1: So to those who have said, why didn't you come out and speak publicly sooner, amid in the midst of the scandal? Probably it
2: can't be done. At that point, I, I violated what I told the Federal Reserve. We said we would be a passive investor. Okay.
1: So you couldn't say anything.
2: No, oh, I'm not saying I would have said something. But but uh, right. it, absolutely, you know, we had told the Federal Reserve in June we would be a passive investor.
1: The CEO John Sumpf, someone you you've known well over the years, a very, very decent well, man. Do you feel misled by him?
2: I don't feel misled. I feel he made a hell of a mistake. <laughs> and, the, the, and he didn't correct it. I mean, that's, that's the thing. It, it, you know, he, 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 it's somewhat similar. Not. I don't want to make it too parallel. John Goodfriend didn't commit the act of Solomon that caused the problem, mm-hmm. but he sucked his thumb, you know, and he learned about it. And then it, it mushroomed, as problems do. Out of control, and then being behind the curve, he didn't know what to do exactly. I don't know. I don't know what happened precisely at, 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 at Wells Fargo at all. But but the, the problem was not doing something about it. We have a hotline at Berkshire, you know, and thousands of things come in. Somebody said the guy next to me has bad breath or something like that. But it goes to the like other places. It goes to the internal audit, and I want to know about any that sound like they've got real validity about something significant, and, and the person in charge of internal law and, would do that. And, now, I'm sure that there were signals way back.
1: There were, whi- there were whistleblowers. CNN Money has reported yeah, well, that have yeah, called was, and, 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 and yeah. nothing happened.
2: Yeah, well, that's the problem. That's the problem. You've got, you've, when you, there's a problem, I have this formula. It's get it right, get it past, get it out, get it over. And you've got to do all, you got to get it right first, but then you got to, and you've got to do it fast.
1: Did you speak with the CEO, John Sumpf once this scandal broke, and if so, what did you say to him and what did he say to you?
2: I talked to him on a, uh, th- the announcement was on a Thursday, mm-hmm. and I have no idea what the date was, but, and then I watched him on Jim Cramer on CNBC, and I thought he did not get the gravity of what he was involved in based on talking. So the next morning, I called him and we, I just said, basically said, I, I, I don't think you've gotten the gravity of the situation. I've seen that before and other things. John Goodfriend didn't, John Goodfriend thought what happened, saw me, actually said this was a traffic ticket. You know, it's. It,
1: it did, <laughs> you, did you tell John something you thought he had to go? No. What did he say to you? I just said,
2: I, I just said, I, I think, I don't know the exact words, but I said, I, I I don't think you understand the gravity of this.
1: Did uh, because, you,
2: I, and I said, I watched him on Kramer the day before.
1: Did you have any inclination of this? Did and, you, when did you first become aware? Incidentally,
2: of it? I, I, It would not be up to me to say that he should go with us being a passive investor.
1: When did you first become aware of the uh, fake account scandal?
2: Well, when I read it. In the public. I was the the third day. Became
1: became aware. How would you rate Wells Fargo's initial response? Slow. (laughs)
2: Slow.
1: (laughs) Senator Elizabeth Warren called it gutless leadership, and some have said they put the blame far too much on lower-level employees. Did they?
2: I don't. I mean, who knows all the statements they made? I mean, the, the important thing when you have a problem is get it right, get it best, get it out, get it over.
1: So this, CEO- and, and,
2: and 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 when it's a big, it's the responsibility of the CEO.
1: So Tim Sloan, now the CEO, a 29-year veteran of the bank, uh, is, he, is he the person to do that, or does I, Wells need outside leadership?
2: No, the, the, I think Tim Sloan's exactly right. I have met him uh, shortly after he took over. Uh, he, he came to Omaha. at his initiative. Totally, his initiative, and we had lunch.
1: He asked, obviously, he asked your advice. How do you write the ship? Yeah, how do you?
2: He told me what was going on. Something.
1: How do you get their reputation back? What What would your advice be on that front?
2: You, you just you start from where you are and you work forward, and you you've got trust to rebuild, and you, you've got you, you've got an incredible institution. I mean, in, in terms of the impact on business. You know, it's it's very, it's it's minor. I mean, uh, they weren't making any money off the program. <laughs> they were losing money. So it, it, it isn't like something they were doing that was hugely profitable or right. anything of the sort. But in terms of the people that are there, in terms of uh, out, outside public, it takes time to restore trust.
1: Wells Fargo's... N- New account openings have, have plunged. The stock price has fallen to a two and a half year low. The SEC is now investigating the Department of Justice, various congressional committees, some state's attorneys general. Do you have faith in Wells Fargo, the institution?
2: Oh, sure, sure. So we do loads of business with Wells Fargo. You know, We have billions of dollars with them. <laughs> you know, I would, I, I don't know anything about it, but if I had to guess as whether the deposits would be up a year from now, I guess they'd be up.
1: Culture has always been something, Warren, that is so important it's to you. It's huge. It's huge. It actually, I mean, it is at the core of it's huge. Uh, why you buy businesses, the culture of the business from the top down. And changing them is tough. Was there a flawed culture within the bank?
2: Well, what the very act of not correcting the problem affected the culture. I, I, my guess is that the culture, uh, well, everything I know about it, and I, and I don't claim intimate knowledge. With the, the culture was pretty good, and the incentive system corrupted people. If mm-hmm. if if you leave the petty cash of a large company, you know, right near the door where people leave every day, and just have the petty cash so you don't bother to buy a safe or anything of the sort, you are going to. Some people are going to succumb to that that otherwise would behave pretty well. And when people see other people succumbing to it, they will do it. Cultures shift, mm-hmm. and they and you can affect. That culture you can affect it in a hurry, but mm-hmm. you can you can turn it for the better or for the worse by your own actions. That's why they put in cash registers. That's that's how John Patterson sold cash registers. He, he said you know if you've got a cash drawer mm-hmm. as opposed to a ca- my national cash register, uh, you're going to make you're going to make people behave worse than they would if uh, you know if if you had the proper safeguards.
1: Let's talk about. Uh the amount of money that that uh, John Sumpf has left with, he's left Wells with a 130 million dollar package. He did have 41 million of that compensation clawed back. Is that right?
2: You can judge whether anybody that runs a business whether it's right the amount that they they get voted, but the shareholders and the direct, the directors put uh, you know they have a proxy statement that thick and and he's earned it. There's probably part of a contract that describes the conditions under which, sure. yeah. You know.
1: So outside of the contract, because before in the past you've talked about, ex- you know, uh, what someone deem as excessive compensation packages, and you've said, if I were the American shareholder, I'd get a little bit irritated with these goodbye kisses. Those are your words. Yeah, 50 still, c- I still
2: am. But not, 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 I'm not, that's not, that's not in any way related to John. stuff. I, no. I mean, the, the, the,
1: but 5, the pay packages of people,
2: American, American CEOs have taken very good care of themselves.
1: 5,300 employees don't have a job at Wells Fargo anymore. So, for them to see John Sumpf leaving with that amount of money, um, yeah, well, hard to stomach.
2: Well, that, I mean, that's been repeated time after time after time in American business. I mean, you looked at thousands of banks, at least hundreds of banks will say that have failed. You know, Did they have callbacks on any of those?
1: What do you think the lesson is? Certainly a big, huge lesson learned when you came in to, to help right the ship at Solomon you know back in in 91 what what's going to be the lesson learned here the lesson. do you think for Always,
2: the sector the lesson is anytime you get any indication that any policy is leading to bad behavior get on it quickly and just any problem you know when you attack it early you know my partner charlie says an ounce of prevention is not worth a pound of cure he says an ounce of prevention is worth a ton of cure I mean, mm-hmm. and and You know you do you'll make mistakes and the question is you know do those mistakes fester and become a cancer on the organization or anything of the sort but uh but you better you better learn to deal with mistakes in business because you're going to make them you know i made a lot of them and that's part of the job is is not just you know taking the the kudos part of your job is learning to deal with mistakes And, and some frequently they can be mistakes of people under you made mm-hmm. but they are under you and and when you find out about them you've got to do something about it
1: give me the five reasons why you are hopeful today about the future of America uh,
2: America works I mean when you fly back you know New York or wherever it may be, I'm just look at what you see you see 75 million owner-occupied homes you see factories that are producing goods and services that are, American public loves that they never even dreamt about years ago. You see a country where in one person's lifetime an already prosperous company country became six times as wealthy or, or as income producing per capita. You, you see more change in our 240 years than happened in millennia before. And it wasn't because we were smarter. It wasn't because we worked harder. It's because we have a system that works.
1: So America is already great.
2: Oh, it's 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 more than great, <laughs> but it will become greater. Uh, but America is great. Just look at, just look at the medical facilities. Look look at the great universities. Just everything out there is profit. It wasn't here in 1776. There was a bunch of land here that nobody can do anything with, and there were primitive. You know, little industries, cottage industries here and there. Everything you see is profit, and you know how much that amounts to. It? It's about a hundred trillion dollars in and, terms of present and, value.
1: And now the hope is that more Americans can share in that.
2: That's that's the that should be. That should be the number one economic goal of this country. You don't have to worry about having more stuff. You do have to worry about whether people who are perfectly decent citizens, working hard, mm. are getting enough of it so they can live decently.
1: Warren, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Boss Files. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Poppy Harlow CNN.
0: When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store.